0: Allow me to pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning the opportunity to gather in your name and gather together and allow your word to speak to us, speak to the areas of our lives that are that have heavy demands, uncertainties, woundedness, areas of our lives that we need healing. And so, Lord, speak to us this day. Open up our hearts and our minds to your voice and your voice alone. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be glorifying to you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. There are a lot of biblical metaphors, and maybe you have some favorite metaphors that help you uh, describe your faith or help you understand your faith journey, right? Um... Just when I prayed, I said, Oh Lord, our rock and our salvation. The Lord is a rock, right? What are there? Some, some other metaphors. Go ahead. You can share. You can, you can call them out. You have another metaphor, maybe, from the Bible, that helps you in your faith, that reminds you of God's love and grace. All right. This is good. Don't be afraid. Now, everybody's talked at the same time, I don't know what you said. The light? Oh, awesome, right? Beautiful. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says, right? That's beautiful. Yeah. I know. I am the vine. Oh, I love that. I am a vine. You are the branches. You abide in me, and I abide in you. You abide in my love, right? That's- Jessica. I mean, Genevieve. <laughs> that was Genevieve. Jessica This is his mom. What else? Any others? Now you've had time to. Living water. Water, yeah. Beautiful. That's it? Okay. Let me pray. Let's go. To... <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? I love that one. You know, somebody who's guiding us. In that parable, the good shepherd who will not leave you will leave uh, all 99 behind to, to save the one who is lost and wanders away. The good shepherd who protects. Any others? Mustard seed? You like that one? Mustard seed. If you have faith like a mustard seed, gives, it reminds us of the potential of faith. And when it grows and how powerful faith and the impressiveness of faith when it grows. Christ, the cornerstone of faith. Jesus talked about building your faith on the rock, a firm foundation. So when the winds and the waves and the storms come, you will be solid on Christ's teachings. Metaphors help us understand the aspects of our faith, right? Well, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippian church, we've been studying this this letter at the The apostle wrote to this early church in Philippi, a church that he reminds them over and over and over again about joy, living joyfully. He reminds them about the serious business of heaven is joy. And this morning as he continues to write to encourage the first century church in their situation, he draws upon two metaphors that he believes will help them understand their relationship with Christ, but also their responsibility as they follow Christ in their lives. See if you can pick them out as I read. Chapter 3, verse, beginning in verse 12, through verse, chapter 4, 1. Here we go. Not that I have already attained all of this, he's talking about the resurrection, or have already arrived at my goal of understanding God's grace in his life, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. The one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and I strain forward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if at some point you you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, us as a model, remember Epaphroditus and Timothy are part of the, the group, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Encourage one another in through our lives, he's saying. For as I have often told you and before, and I tell you again with tears, here come some difficult words. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, remember he's writing from prison. My joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul draws up on two important metaphors, and you probably picked them out as they come out of the first century. Contemporary culture, and he applies them to their life of faith. And the first one is like an athlete straining for the goal. Paul becomes a a runner, sprinting for that goal, that prize. There's uh, substantial archaeological evidence that in Philippi, they they held Roman games. And so they were very familiar with sprinters running around and people celebrating and cheering them on, winning the race. Paul says, I have not yet attained it. I press on because of Christ has taken hold of me. I press on because what of Christ, as Christ has taken hold of me. What is he talking about there? What has Christ taken hold of him? There is some debate in exactly what that is. I'm convinced it's the call of faith. Christ has taken hold of him and called him to faith by God's grace in his life. It happened on the road to Damascus. We know the story. Paul was one of the a persecutor of the church, and then on his road, on the road to Damascus, he encounters Christ in a miraculous way. And Jesus says to him, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting the church? When you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me, the body of Christ. Paul encountered on Damascus Road. Christ took hold of him by his grace. He's saying, God took hold of me by grace, and now I strive to take hold of that grace and live that grace out in my life. Likewise, he calls the church to imagine their faith, this call to faith, as a sprint, as a, as a race. Imagine a, a sprinter focused on the goal. It ignores everything on the side, but also ignores what's in the past, and he presses on forward, straining towards the prize. Some time ago, there was a movie uh, that you may have seen uh, titled Chariots of Fire. It's a true story of a Scottish sprinter named Eric Liddell. Liddell was a devout Christian born of missionary parents in China. While attending school at Edinburgh and in Scotland, he became quite a runner. And he was selected to run in the 1923 Paris Games. And there's a scene in the movie where he is running and the group is gathered together and they're running around the first corner and somebody bumps Eric and he falls in the ground. But something takes over and he just jumps back up and he continues to run And he sprints and some some adrenaline, some spirit within him, and he just keeps running. And it's a very inspiring part of the movie where he comes and he continues to race. And you think, well, he's just, you know, he's going to get his best shot. But he passes the other runners and eventually he overtakes the leader and he wins the race. In some ways, when you think about that, it's what Paul is saying. I press on and I forget about the past, I forget about what happened in the past. You see, I think maybe if I was one of the runners and I was bumped off, I would have rolled and went, oh, well. I mean, it was a sprint. It was the 440 or the 400. How are you going to catch up to these guys that are running full speed? I might have was, ah, that's well, next time. But he gets up and runs hard. He could have resigned himself. Well, that, I couldn't make that. Or he could have grown angry. Blame. Bitter. I was cheated. But he forgets about what is in the past, and he strives forward. The metaphor Paul uses in his church life, in the life of faith. Paul not only imagines his own life. Before he encountered Christ, he was a persecutor of the church. He stood there and watched the first deacon stoned to death while he held the cloaks of those who were throwing the stones and approving it. He carried that weight heavily in his life, and yet here he says the metaphor that helps him is that I strive to live in God's grace on a daily basis, every day, every moment. And he's not just thinking about his own life, he's also thinking about the good people in the Philippian church that we read about in Acts chapter 16, the businesswoman whose life was transformed down by the river, she hears the message of Jesus Christ and and gives her life, and then helps the church grow, starts a church in her house. There was a servant girl who was, her owners would give her this narcotic and she would uh, had a spirit of divination and and she could tell the fortunes. and, And one day Paul calms her and heals her and she has a right mind. And then her owners get really mad because now she's not making all this money for them because she would tell fortunes for people but high prices, and then they throw him in prison, he and Silas. And this young lady now has a right mind and healed. She's a member of the Philippian church, I'm sure. Also, there's a jailer. Paul and Silas are in jail. There's an earthquake. The doors break open, and it's dark, and the jailer realizes that under his watch, The prisoners are probably all taken off. And he's about to run himself through with a sword because that's ultimately what's going to happen to him. And Paul calls out in the dark, don't, don't do it. We're all still here. We didn't run away. Paul, following Jesus' words, love your enemies, stayed there because he knew this guy was going to have to kill himself. The love, his whole life is transformed, this jailer. He says, What do I need to do? He says, Follow Jesus. He loves you. His whole family is baptized. Paul thinks about these people. Press on. Forget about the past and press on. Live every day in God's grace. Don't let the past hold you back. You know, I was reading about nostalgia uh, this, this past week. Nostalgia. You know, sometimes on my, my phone I'll be, you know, and it will you know, the screen, the, f- the home page or whatever. This phone that I have, there's a uh, a program where it shows all the f- some pictures and like memories, like, oh remember this and then that automatically puts pictures. Does your phone do that? It's kind of fun. And I look at it, I go, oh, wow, that was awesome. When we went fishing, or we were at Disneyland waiting in line forever, or all these things, and you just kind of go, and there's nostalgia, your memories. Oh, this is great. And that's fine. That's good. Nostalgia is good. But researchers tell us that the same area of nostalgia is in our minds and our brains also is the same area of hope. Nostalgia is, in some ways, a double edged sword, too, because we can get caught up in nostalgia and immobilized, and it can immobilize our hope because sometimes we'll think, oh man, those good old days. Remember that, oh, that was way better back then. Oh yeah, that was, oh yeah. Yeah, the good old days. Can you imagine at the first century church in Philippi, they said, oh man, it was so much better when it was was just a group of us down by the river and we would pray every day. We didn't have to worry about all these other people now coming to the church and you know now it's getting complicated and some people don't like the carpet, and you know, some people are arguing about this. Man, it was so much easier back then. That's the double-edged sword of nostalgia, where it can siphon away hope for the future. Paul is saying, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Press on for the prize, living for Christ. He runs the race, the goal of trusting God's grace in every way and in every day. Though we may stumble and fall in faith, dear friends, we're to press on and strive forward in faith. Second metaphor that he brings to the surface is citizens in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. I like that. It sounds great. It's like we have a place in heaven. God's preparing for us. That's certainly what that means. But I think the way Paul is using it is a little bit different. Sometimes we might think, oh, that means later, citizens in heaven. That's for when we are with God in heaven, where we belong, we'll be living with God in his kingdom. But in this particular text, what Paul is really drawing upon is a little bit different. How many of you enjoyed your history class in high school or college? Oh, wow. Okay, this is going to be a tough part for the rest of you. I need to do a little bit of a history lesson, okay? So let's just, it's not long. I know if some of you had bad times in history, just hang in there. This is biblical history. You'll be able to use it later, I think. Yes, you will. Paul is drawing upon the citizens of heaven. People who know about these things, and they talk about the first century Philippi, is a Roman colony. The word colony is not that popular and brings up memories of imperialism and, and the like. However, in 42 BC in Philippi, a hundred years before Paul was there, there was a great battle, a civil war, Romans uh, battle right after the death of Julius Caesar. And the two victorious generals, Anthony and Octavian, had found themselves now in this area of Greece with thousands and thousands of soldiers. And they did not want to send them back to Rome. That would have been dangerous, all these hardened soldiers. And there's like, we can't send them back to Rome, and Rome's having their own problems socially anyway, so let's keep them here in this area of Philippi. So they gave them all land. And so they had land, and then they became the first colonists of this area. Now, once the colony was established, more battle-hardened veterans joined them. And by the time Paul came, this was quite a, a colony of Rome. And there were lots of descendants from those first colonists that lived there. And they benefited from the Roman presence, and there were also a good many people who benefited from this. But there was also a good many people who did not benefit from this at all, and didn't like the Latin-speaking elite who have taken over their Greek er- towns. Likewise, history lesson's almost over. Hang in with it. The- Come on now. Likewise, Philippi was the main road; it was on the main road right to Rome, and so there was a. Uh, Constant contact with the mother uh, city of Rome. Close contact maintained. And the Philippian Roman colonists were very proud of their city. And they did their best to keep the civic order and to to frame it like the mother city of Rome and and to be like Rome. they do their best, including the imperial worship of Caesar as Lord and Savior. And if you ask the average Roman Philippian colonists living in the area during this time, they say, what's your task? What, what is your goal? Well, I, My goal is to make sure that I live uh, under Caesar and, and make sure that this area is, uh, reflects the empire, reflects Rome. I'm responsible for bringing Roman culture and Roman rule to this area. And then if there was something happened, let's say there was an attack on on Philippi from uh, barbarians in the north, then they would probably think, okay, we have the emperor. He'll come and save us if that happened. This is the image Paul wants the Philippian church to think about when he calls them citizens of heaven. The good people in Philippi, the church at present, are citizens of heaven. And they have the responsibility to bring heaven to earth in and through their love and their actions and how they treat one another. We heard it earlier when we prayed the prayer and the the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Help finish it for me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to live joyfully. That's the business of heaven, right? The serious business of heaven is that we are to bring joy to the world in and through our lives. You're citizens of heaven, and so live as citizens of heaven here on earth. Bring the rule of heaven here in and through your life. The rule of God's grace. The rule of joy in our lives. Jesus' mandate to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you bringing joy to the lives of others through compassion, through grace. The things that we do in our life together, our ministries, are to bring joy. There was so much joy when those high school kids and junior hires were headed off to camp on Saturday when I prayed for them as they loaded in the cars. They were filled with joy. And because we've invested in the ministry of youth here, we can bring that joy to these young people. And they're having a joyful time right now And they're building friendships. They're learning about grace, God's love for them, bringing joy to the lives of others. Friends, we're called to think about these two metaphors. Think about these two metaphors in your week ahead. The challenges you face, the demands, the uncertainties that weigh heavy on your heart. Maybe it's an individual you love that's going through such a difficult time or they're wandering away, or whatever it is. Think about these two metaphors in your life. How will these metaphors that Paul encourages, running the race, sprinting to hold on to that grace that God has provided, and living as a citizen of heaven in this world. How will this transform your week? How will this inspire joyful hope in your life? Gracious God, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. We pray that we think about these metaphors this week and inspire us as we care for our families, as we do our work, fulfill our careers, our jobs that you called us to, as we love our neighbors, as we care about those you bring into our lives. May these metaphors help us, reminding us that you are with us And God, now as we respond to you and your word, we give, we give out of our time and our talent and our resources. And so as we share this morning of the gifts that you have abundantly given to us, may these gifts continue to spread your love and grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.